Welcome to the weekly podcast of Bright Star Bible Church. Thank you for joining us. As you listen to the proclamation of God's Word, our prayer for you is the same prayer that Jesus prayed for His church in John 17, 17. Father, sanctify them in truth. Your Word is truth. So if you would, turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And we're going to be starting at at, uh, verse 25, and we're going to go through verse 40. So we've got a a large set of scriptures today to go over, but they all all coordinate with each other, and and they they work off of each other. So it's important. Now, there's no doubt that this is one of the most difficult texts in all of 1 Corinthians to understand, in our modern-day mindset. So we're going to do a little bit of homework uh, that will help us understand the context of the, of the verses, So, um, as well as understanding it and, and application as well. So 1 Corinthians verse, or chapter 7, verse 25. Let's stand in honor of the Word of God, please. Now concerning virgins, I have no command of the Lord, But I give an opinion as one who, by the mercy of the Lord, is trustworthy. I think that then, I think that this is good in view of the present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you marry, you have not sinned, and if a virgin marries, She has not sinned, yet such will have trouble in this life, and I am trying to spare you. But this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened, so that from now on those who have wives should be as though they had none, and those who weep as though they did not weep, and those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, and those who buy as though they did not possess. And those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. For the form of this world is passing away. But I want you to be free from concern. The one who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But the one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. And his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But the one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. This I say to your own benefit, not to put restraint upon you, but to promote what is appropriate and and to secure undistracted devotion. To the Lord. But if any man thinks that he is acting unbecomingly toward his virgin daughter, if she is past her youth, and if it must be so, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin, let her marry. But he who stands firm in his heart, being under no constraint, but has authority over his own will, and has decided this in his heart to keep his own virgin daughter he will do well. So, then, both he who gives his own virgin daughter in marriage does well, and he who does not give her in marriage will do well. 
will do better. Sorry. A wife is bound as long as her husband lives. But if her husband is dead, she is free to, to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. But in my opinion, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I also have the Spirit of God. This is the Word of God, and let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for the opportunity to come together as your church and fellowship with one another and hear your Word uh, read clearly. And, and Lord, I pray that you give all of us ears to hear your message this morning and illuminate this, this text and, uh, and let, it, let it land in the hearts of those who you intend for it to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, it's most agreed upon that Paul wrote this letter in 54 AD. This is important to the context of the letter as a whole, but most extremely important to the context of this specific text. It's obvious that the subject of the text is, uh, is virgins, uh, and meaning people who have never been married before. And the unmarried as well is also the, uh, the other subject, meaning people who are no longer married due to divorce or death of their spouse. Now, I know these are obvious definitions, but it's worth stating because there was once a time whenever virginity and singleness went hand in hand. And the only person you gave yourself to was the person who you were married to. So let's go through this verse by verse, as we normally do, and um, as we do it, we'll start to see the context of the verse that's so vitally important to understanding it, as well as applying it. So, starting at verse 25. Now concerning virgins, I have no command of the Lord, but I give an opinion as one who, by the mercy of the Lord, is trustworthy. So now he states that there's no command of the Lord um, concerning virgins, meaning Jesus didn't speak on this specific topic. It also means that this is not a, ma a matter of sin, as we heard when we read through the entire Scripture, um, but it's, it's a matter of freedom. Okay, So he does have this inspired opinion from the Holy Spirit on the subject. Uh, now, we know it's obvious that Paul was an apostle, but there's more than just his apostleship here that he's speaking from. So let's look back at verse, uh, I'm sorry, verse 7 in chapter 7. Okay, so same chapter, verse 7. Um, for those who walked in, we're in 1 Corinthians, by the way. <laughs> uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7. Yet I wish that all men were even as I myself am. However, each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to widows that it is good for them if they remain even as I. But if they do not have self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So in verse 7, he, sets, he, sa he states, Yet I wish that all men were even as I myself am. And in verse 8, it is good for them if they remain even as I. So you see, Paul is speaking not just as an apostle, but he's speaking as an unmarried man, 
uh, a man who's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, um, but he's speaking from his own experience as well. And interestingly enough, we know that Paul was once Saul, and whenever he was Saul, he was on the path, at least on the path, to becoming a member of the Sanhedrin. So we don't know if he actually made it that far or not, but we do know that there are a, there's a list of qualifications to becoming a member of the Sanhedrin, and one of them is you have to be married. So either he knew that this was coming and he would have to get married eventually and then just um, con was converted to Christianity and never did, or he became a member of the Sanhedrin and was possibly married himself. Now, this is not explicitly stated in Scripture. I want to be clear of that. But if this is so, then it gives us a little bit of insight to this entire verse of being unmarried. Maybe he had once had a wife and she had passed before he was converted because he never speaks of her. Um, and, and I think we'll find out why if this is the case uh, throughout this scripture. Now, on to verse 26. I think that it is good in view of the present distress that it is good for a man to remain as he is. In, in the verses just before this, uh, Michael preached on it uh, a couple weeks ago, to be content. Okay, This is a, a different kind of remain as he is. This is talking specifically about virgins or unmarried. Okay, So it's good to remain a virgin. Now this one verse is key to understanding this entire of the passage because it gives us a context. In the words, in view of this of the present distress, what does he mean by that? And Paul certainly knows a thing or two about distress. Um, if, if you flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, I'll give you time to do so. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, I'll continue to talk as you're flipping there. In this portion of the second epistle, to the Corinthians, there were some individuals who were doubting Paul's motives. Uh, they had come to the church and they were questioning his qualifications as an apostle and to lead the church. And they were asking him, what certifies you as an apostle? What certifies you? And, and these people were actually false teachers. And they were coming into the church trying, trying to spread doubt among the people. And these false teachers, they were wealthy, they were free from persecution, and they most likely had never had to endure any kind of suffering at all. Um, while Paul, on the other hand, had very little, if any, monetary wealth, he was consistently having to flee from persecution, and he was always enduring suffering. So Paul first states that the fact that there's even a church in Corinth is enough to, uh, to, you know, to show that he is a man of God and that he has good motives. The fact that that church is growing, the fact that that church is still there to, as he's writing this letter, that should be enough to prove that he is an apostle of Christ. But then he lists all of the distress that he had been put through, all of the persecutions and sufferings that he has endured for the furthering of the gospel. And that's key. He didn't just do this because he, he, was, he, he was a person that people didn't like. They were persecuting him for him spreading the gospel. 
So verse 21 is where we'll start. To my shame, I must say that we have been weak by comparison. But in whatever respect anyone else is bold, I speak in foolishness. I am just as bold myself. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes, three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and uh, a night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without me be, my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? If I boast, if I have to boast, I will boast of what pertains to my weakness. So you, you see, Paul has witnessed this himself. It's a form of, of distress that he's talking about. He's been there. Okay, no wonder why he has an, uh, an opinion on staying single. Could you imagine going through those things with your wife and your children? Or even if they weren't with you, how much they would stress and worry about you. And then your concern uh, would be for their well-being well after you die. A relationship would likely be impossible in Paul's case because of the things that he had experienced. Now flip back to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and let's read verse 26 again. I think that it is good, in view of the present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. So earlier I mentioned that Paul wrote this letter in 54 AD. That's the same year that the Roman emperor Nero took office. If you know anything about Nero, he is not a good guy. So Paul had already suffered plenty up to this point, and he knows uh, that it's about to get a lot worse. He's inspired to write this from the Holy Spirit. And it's not just about to get worse for him, but for all Christians in that day and age. See, Jesus was clear about the persecutions and the martyrdom that they would face for those who followed him. And in the years since Jesus, those sufferings were mainly directed at the apostles um, and the leaders of the church. They were um, coordinated by the Pharisees and the Sadducees, which made up members of the Sanhedrin. Um, and so you could say that they had a, a vendetta against Paul specifically, because they all know who he was. They all knew that he was this up-and-coming prodigy that was going to you know, knock their socks off because he was so well-versed well in the Scriptures. And then he, he flipped. And that made him angry. So, so it was, a, it was a, uh, a vendetta coordinated by the Pharisees and the Sadducees. 
And those persecutions were certainly awful. I don't want to downplay that, but they were nothing compared to what was to come. You see, in the year 64 AD, everything changed. That's 10 years after Paul wrote this epistle. Nero began the first systematic slaughter of Christians, and it was no longer coordinated by the Sanhedrin, but the entire Roman Empire. And if you're aware, they had a lot of land. They had a lot of reach with their empire. It was practically state-sponsored murder. You see, Christians would eventually be gathered up and fed to wild beasts. They would be trampled or gored by the domesticated ones for entertainment purposes, of course. They would be tied to posts and burned for light in Nero's garden and throughout the city of Rome. That's where we get the term Roman candle. It's much darker than what you'd imagine on 4th of July, but that's where the term comes from. They were, they were, they're going to be cooked on grates or in broiling oil. They'll be beaten and murdered in the public square in front of everyone to see, naked. They'll be tied up and shot with arrows. They're going to be crucified. They're going to be drowned. They're going to be stoned. They're going to be beheaded. And some will even have stakes driven into them, pinning them to the ground to bleed out and die in the wilderness. These were just some of the horrific events that was in their near future. Okay. Now you may be asking yourself, how did we get here? Like I thought we were going to be talking about virgins and, uh, and widows, and I'm, I'm sorry that it got so dark, but this is the context in which it was written. This is what the Holy Spirit knew was coming when he inspired Paul to pen this letter. This was the current and coming distress that Paul was talking about. Now, what Paul went through was no cakewalk, but it was nothing compared to what they'd be facing just 10 years later, which is why it was Paul's opinion and the Holy Spirit's inspiration for those who were single to remain as they are. Verse 27 and 28, Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. So don't go changing your status. That's not what Paul is trying to say. If you're single, it would be wise of you to stay single given the current context and distress. Verse 28, But if you marry, you have not sinned, and if a virgin marries, she has not sinned, yet such will have trouble in this life, and I am trying to spare you. Now, upon first hearing that, you might thinking, oh, you know, Marriage life, it's so rough and tough. No, he's talking about the coming persecution of these people. And he wants to remind them that, however, if they choose to get married still, there would be trouble in that life for them. Again, it's that present distress that he's pointing back to. Verse 29, but I say this, brethren, the time has been shortened so that from now on, those who have wives should be as though they had none. Now we're, going to, we're about to get into some very interesting text because Paul shifts the subject. Uh, his point was, was two virgins and the unmarried, 
And now he's shifting to married people. And then he kind of shifts to all people. Bear with me and I'll, and I'll explain that. So the time has been shortened. What, what does this mean? This, this is saying that the most extreme persecution is not far away for them. In fact, they were right on the verge of it, right on the cusp. Now you could, um, I don't know how you could tell someone, be as though you had no wife without a bit of context, without some cross-references. So let's look at Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. And we'll look at something that Jesus said that's very similar to this statement. Luke chapter 14 will be in verse, on verse 25 and 26. Luke chapter 14. Now large crowds were coming along with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. There it is. You must hate your own father and mother. You must hate your wife and children. You must hate your own life, your brothers and sisters, and you must hate your own life in comparison to your love for Christ. So this term hate was really not saying hate that person, but it's a compare and contrast. There should be nothing that gets in the way of your love and devotion and your service to the Lord. Not your father or mother, not your wife or your children, not your brothers or your sisters, not even yourself. So let's continue reading in Luke uh, and see if we can find anything else to help us draw and understand the context of these next verses. So verse 27, Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe, who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, This man began a build to build and, and was not able to finish. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So then, none of you can be my disciple who... So none of you can be, I'm sorry, so then none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. It is costly to be a follower of Christ. This should not be some walk in the park. Of course, there are times throughout history where it's more difficult than others. I would say that we're in one of the the mountain times right now. It's bright and it's glorious and we're able to worship freely, without worry of, of much persecution outside of Facebook. Um, so Christ said this himself. You have to give up everything to follow him. Now let's get back to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Uh, 
If we do, if once we get back to another verse, keep your thumb in 1 Corinthians, or if you have a, a piece of paper to keep it in there um, as a placeholder, we'll be going back and forth. Again, verse 29. But this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened so that from now on those who have wives should be as though they had none. So now this verse may be a little bit easier for us to understand. Just as Jesus said before, your love for your wife and your children should look like hate in comparison to your love for Him. Paul is stating that their relationship with their spouses, theirs as in the Corinthians, should almost look non-existent in comparison to their relationship and devotion to Christ. In the coming persecution, neither their spouse nor their children should hinder them from living for the Lord or dying for Him. Verse 30, And those who weep as though they did not weep, and those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. So first he goes from talking about marriage, and now, now he's talking about emotions. You see, their trials, um, in them, their emotions can just as easily pull them away from the service to the Lord. There, there will be pain and suffering coming their way, and sadness and torment. But they could not let those lows hinder them from their devotion to the Lord. And there will surely be times for them when their faith would waver. But, uh, well, especially when their loved ones are dying such terrible deaths all around them. Just as Psalm 23 states, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And, and just as though they shouldn't waver in the dark valleys, it's just as easy to lose focus on the bright mountaintops. Because there would eventually be relief for them and blessings and victory and abundance. But they could not allow those highs to hinder their devotion to the Lord. And it's just as true today for us. It's so easy to take our eyes off of Christ whenever there's an abundance of anything. Now we're going to read the, the end of verse 30, which is a 30b, you could call it that. And those who buy as though they did not possess. Okay, so we went from speaking about married people to emotions, and now he's talking about possessions. In comparison to their love and devotion to the Lord, their possessions and all their stuff, had to be meaningless to them. Or else it would hinder them from their love and their devotion and their service to the Lord. Because the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid again, and from joy over it, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. Flip over to James chapter 5. James chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 1. James chapter 5. It's one of those really small books, so if you turn a, a few extra pages, you'll miss it. <laughs> James chapter 5, verse 1. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries, 
which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted and their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. Behold, the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields and which, you, and which has been withheld by you cries out against you and the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life of wanton pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in the day in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. Earthly possessions and riches are meaningless unless they are used for the kingdom of God. And one day, everything that you own, everything that I own, will be ash. It will be burnt up. And the only thing that will remain is the kingdom of God. It will last forever. So, similar to our verses in 1 Corinthians a few weeks ago, every man's worth will be tested with fire. Are you building into the kingdom with gold and silver and precious stones, or is it wood, hay, and stubble? So, just as Christ said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's move on to verse 31. It's a very similar verse. And those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it, for the form of this world is passing away. So similar to possessions, the world offers status and titles and promotions and pleasures. They can easily sweep a Christian away into an earthly or worldly mindset or framework or lenses that they're wearing, and that's what they see it as. That's what they see the world as. And you can quickly fill your calendar to where you have little or no time for the Lord or for service to Him. Again, in comparison to their love and devotion to God, chasing worldly values and the use of them in your life would, should seem non-existent. That's that, that's that comparison. It should, be not, it should seem non-existent. Because we know that this world is passing away. We've heard that in Scripture many, many times. So do not put your faith and your trust in those things. If you have, you're, you're, you're a Christian, you have the freedom to do so. There's nothing wrong with that. But you should be mastered by nothing. All things are lawful for a Christian. Paul states that himself, but not all things are profitable, and you will not be mastered by any. Verse 32, but I want you to be free from concern. That, this is the theme of this entire message from Paul. Be free from concern. All of the things listed, they can often get in our way to the devotion of or our, our devotion to the Lord. 
It was clearly happening in 54 AD, and it still happens today. They need to be mindful, the Corinthians need to be mindful of it, because their current persecution, as well as their persecution to come, it can hinder their devotion at that time. When, all, when you're about to be nailed to a cross, or fed to wild beasts, or burned alive, does it matter what your title is? Does it matter how much money is in your bank account, or how much you've stored up in your nice home? None of that matters. All that matters, all that matters and remains is your devotion to Christ at that point. And that is, unfortunately, the, the experience that most of these Christians have. If you've ever read Fox's Book of Martyrs, it's a great book. I would highly suggest getting it. Um, it has thousands of people who have our recorded events um, of actual cases of martyrdom starting uh, from Jesus and, and moving on past him. Oh, no, it starts at John the Baptist, sorry. Um, but you'll find as you're reading through that, and it's all chronological, um, so the earliest ones, you'll find that there are a lot of people who were Corinthians in that book. It, it ties a very real sense of what Paul was speaking of here in the current distress. And, and, and we actually see, even though these things aren't in, in Scripture, they're outside of Scripture, but they are, um, they are recorded events of these things that have happened. And so we know that Nero's persecution did get to Corinth. And it was, it was uh, not good anywhere, but, but there's some pretty awful things that happened in Corinth specifically. So, it would be difficult enough being single and going through these things. But could you imagine facing that kind of persecution on your knees next to your wife or your husband or next to your children? It's, it's an awful, awful thing to think about. But in this context, Paul is not saying we should, leave, we should live single lives. They were dealing with something far much greater, far, far more... Uh, horrendous than what we could face in our, in our average day. But when persecution does come, this is a verse that we can look at and we can gain wisdom from this passage. So, whenever it comes time to pick up your cross and live for Christ or even die for Him, there can't be anything standing in your way. Again, Paul seems to shift his point back to the virgins and the unmarried in the next verses. But this time, he does so in a more general sense, not just in times of distress. So continuing, this is the end part, 32b, uh, the end of verse 32. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But the one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. And his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy 
both in body and spirit. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. This I say for your benefit, not to put a restraint on you, but to, to, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. So do you hear Paul's shift now? He went from talking about distress to now even pleasing your wives or their, their wives in the context of the Corinthians, pleasing their wives and their husbands will divide the interest and cause distractions from their devotions to the Lord. You all know I'm married, but I can stand up here and, and say that if I wasn't married, I could give so much more of myself to, to, to the mission of spreading the gospel. Who knows where I could be? But God put Cassie in my life and my children in my life, and so I have a responsibility to them. But I think us fathers, we can see it, how providing monetary uh, sources for our families can often get in the way of things that we have to provide for them. And that's what Paul is, has, has lived. He has seen it, and he is stating it here. So this shift um, to, to the message of those who are single, it, it's that if you are single, even for a short amount of time, there are blessings that overflow from being single. You have your time that is not required anywhere else. You can give it all to God. And that's what Paul did, as well as many of the apostles. And in our world today, the thing to do is to get married, at least eventually. I don't know why anybody wouldn't want to get married. There are tons of blessings that flow out from being married in a godly relationship. But we have the freedom, the freedom to decide one way or the other because it's not a matter of sin. But you see, those who are single, maybe, like I said, maybe you'll be single for only a small amount of time. Don't dwell on those negatives. Don't dwell on what the, the negatives that the world kind of pushes on you. You need to get married and you need to get, have, have children. What Paul is saying here, I'm sure that that was still a push. I'm sure there were... There were mother-in-laws or, or moms still saying, when, when are you going to get married? When are you going to have kids? I want grandbabies. That was probably happening way back then too. But whenever it comes to the, the blessings that come from being single, you can multiply your service to the Lord. If you are single, dwell on that. Dwell on those blessings that come from it. Just as Paul did. He, and he said himself, I wish all were even as I am. He wished everyone could be unmarried because the incredible blessings that flow from it and your devotion to Christ. Now, as I mentioned earlier, this is a difficult text to understand because we are in a completely different world today than what they were in, in 54 AD. So if we look at it from the context that he was given them, that he, that he was pointing towards, then uh, we can certainly pull from... The, the practical text about uh, not, letting, not letting your spouse hinder you from your service to the Lord, not letting your emotions hinder you, not letting your possessions hinder you, 
not letting your status of the world and the framework hinder you. So let's move on. I'm almost done. 36, verse 36. But if any man thinks that he's acting unbecoming toward his virgin daughter, if he is past, if she is past her youth, and if it is, if it must be so, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin, let her marry. But he who stands firm in his heart, being under no constraint, but has authority over his own will, and has decided this in his own heart to keep his own virgin daughter, he will do well. But, or, or I'm sorry, so 38. So when both he who gives his own vir virgin daughter in marriage does well, and he who does not give her in marriage will do better. So just as before, there is freedom for the Corinthians. There is freedom as Christians to choose. However, a father who chooses to give his daughter, or not to give his daughter in marriage, is the wiser. And this seems foreign to us, but we, um, but there were Christian men who, similar to the firstborn in Jewish tradition, they would devote their firstborn son to the Lord. Uh, he would be called Corban, so he was given to God, um, not sacrificially. Uh, I want to state that, um, but he was just given to the Lord to serve the Lord. I just wanted to be clear on that. But similar to, in that similar fashion, Christian men uh, would, would sometimes do the same thing with their daughters and their virginity, vowing to, the, to God to keep them a virgin, to keep them pure as an offering to the Lord. And Paul clearly states there's no requirement for this. But in a practical sense, the coming persecution, the father that keeps his virgin daughter and does not allow her to marry is better off. And finishing up in verse 39 and 40, a wife is bound as long as her husband lives, but if, a husband, if her husband is dead, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord, meaning only a Christian. Verse 40, but in my opinion, she is happier if she remains as is. And this last portion, uh, many scholars think that this could be a, a, a hint of sarcasm from Paul, uh, and I think that I also have the Spirit of God. Um, so, meaning, because I have the Spirit of God, this is tr a trustworthy statement as he started in the beginning of the passage. So being free from concern means more opportunities to serve the Lord and being devoted to Him. This is a timeless truth that goes beyond just married, unmarried, virgins, widows, anything, anything that you do can cause for concern and, 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 and block you from your service to the Lord. Not meaning that this isn't an issue of salvation. It's not. It's an issue of devotion. And this is not a legalist standpoint either. Um, and, and not a point for anyone, any man, to judge one another as long as it's not uh, an issue of sin. And this is not in this case. So that's clear. So you heard a lot today about freedom, um, and that's exactly what we have in the blood of Jesus Christ. Um, none of these things concerns uh, sin. We've talked about that. 
and it doesn't have anything to do with salvation. So there's no repentance required for any of these things that we talked about today. He was speaking to those people who were already Christians, okay? So we can talk about freedom from earthly concerns all day long, but if you are not free from eternal concern, meaning the concern of where you'll spend your eternity after all of this fades away, please come and see Michael or myself after this service today because you must be free from that concern and secure in knowing where you'll spend all of eternity. And, and, and that will be with your Creator. So that concern is far more important than any of these earthly concerns. These people were already Christians. They were already there. So this not being a, a, an issue of salvation, make sure you know and you aren't concerned. You're free from that concern of where you'll spend your eternity. Because as Michael has preached so many times, our bodies are we're, we are eternal beings. We will live forever and we will last forever. But it's one place or the other. And so let's be secure and free from that concern first.